Good evening, folks. Um, as Rick said, my name is Mosala, and um, we actually come from Northwest Province, a town called Mafikeng. Um, anybody from Mafikeng or you know about Mafikeng? There you go, there you go. <laughs> and um, and um, so after finishing my trick in Mafikeng, went to study in Durban, and that's where I met my beautiful wife. She's an Italian. And, um, and then I, I got stuck in, uh, in KZN ever since, really. So it is a great pleasure for me to be here. I must say that I've really been stirred um, by your faith, just listening to the, to the faith stories about church planting and vision A, B, C, D, and, and all the fantastic work you're doing. I really feel stirred in my spirit. And I really hope to, to serve you tonight and encourage you as a, as a hub, as the province, um, to look to the Lord and continue to build and stretch and, um, and go beyond yourselves. It's, isn't it wonderful that a church will be planted in, in Cairo from Cape Town? I mean, this is amazing, wonderful stuff. And so this uh, evening, all protocol observed, yeah? I want to go straight to the, to the text. Um, I really feel to speak to you on the subject of stewardship. Just this word, I felt God stirring it in my heart, and we've been kind of working it out in our local church in Peter Maritzburg, but it's really come back very strongly in my heart that we need to, to recover this word, stewardship, and to steward the gifts and the graces that God has given um, to all of us. And so I'm going to ask you, if you will, please, if you can turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We'll read from verse 1 to verse 11 and then unpack this message on stewardship, biblical stewardship. It reads as follows. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or pride, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, or have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, Father, it is the desire of our hearts to see you glorified in everything that we do. Your word says, 
in everything that we do, whether we eat or drink, we are to do it all to the glory of your name. We pray that you would open our eyes. We pray that you'd help us to steward all the graces and gifts and even our very lives and to steward them well to bring glory unto your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we are going to talk on this subject really under three headings. Number one, we look at humility as a key to uh, as a key quality of stewardship, and then we'll look at humility as key to unity, and then thirdly, we'll look at Jesus Christ as the ultimate standard for stewardship. As Christians, we've got I would say three great enemies. The first enemy would be the world that attacks us from the outside. The second enemy would be Satan who wants to steal, kill and destroy us. But lastly, we've got this enemy called the self. And I submit that the greatest of these three is the self. (laughs) In a sense, we are our own worst enemies. God has given us great opportunities, great gifts, great resources. But if we don't manage those resources and steward them properly, we will destroy our very lives. And before we go into the book of Philippians, I just want to talk a little bit about stewardship. What is, what is this word and what does it mean? Um, it, is, it is a biblical word. We don't use the word steward very much um, in our culture. It is a biblical word. And really, it's, um, in the Greek language, which is the language of the, of the uh, New Testament, it is the word oikonomia. And, and if, if you listen carefully there, it sounds like economics. Because it is economics, oikos, household, and nomos, which is law. And you put the two together, house law or house ruler. And in the first century, there were people who were called stewards, who were house rulers, very, very powerful, given great responsibility. But also, the, 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 there was an irony in this whole thing of, of stewards, because in most cases, stewards were actually slaves. They would take a person who is a slave and give this person great authority and that person would be subject only to his master and he would be a steward. And this is the word that the apostles appropriated to speak about a servant of Jesus Christ and a Christian. A Christian is somebody, in fact, humankind, as human beings. God made us And he gave us great authority. You see that in the book of Genesis, where God says to Adam and Eve, he's giving them great authority. You'll have dominion over everything, even the things that creep on the face of the earth. And yet God comes to him and he says, you may not eat, you shall not eat of the fruit that is in the midst of the garden. So God was establishing himself as the authority over Adam and Eve. And he was saying to them, have complete authority, but you need to have that authority under authority. You need to see yourselves as stewards. You have great power, but you are not allowed to use that power willy-nilly. You need to use that power as people who are going to give an account to God. You are a steward, a house ruler 
accountable to Almighty God. And, and one good example of a steward is the guy by the name of Joseph. You remember his story that he was, his brothers wanted to kill him, but eventually instead of killing him, they decided to sell him as a slave. And he ended up in Potiphar's house and he became a person of great authority and yet remained a slave. Was very, very, in fact, he became the prime minister effectively of Egypt. That is a steward, I, I would have said par excellence, except that Christ is actually a steward par, per excellence. And so we are to take this, this pattern of scripture and look at ourselves and realize God has given us great resources and power and stuff. And we are to use it. And God says, go for it and do it. Have complete dominion. But you need to realize that you are in submission to me. Um, Paul, for instance, loves this word. He refers to himself not only as a slave, the usual word that is used for slave in the New Testament, but he actually calls himself a bond slave. And that is even more radical than just a, a, a picture of a steward. A bond slave was somebody who was a slave. Slaves in those days, were, number one, were not racially um, defined. Any person could be a slave. And secondly, slavery was not forever. You could, be, you could actually ask a master to be, for you to become that person's slave. And then that person pays you. And then you're able to pay your debts. And as soon as you've paid your debts, then you are released out of slavery. And, but a bond slave is somebody who says, I have a right to, for, to freedom, but I choose because my master has been so great to me, I choose to bond myself as it were for life. And Paul says, I am a bond slave. He, he understood something about the nature of humankind, who we are essentially. If we, if we grab and hold on to independence from God, we actually become slaves. And when you become a slave of God, you actually become truly free if you, if you hear what Paul is, is saying. So R.C. Sproul defines a stewardship in this way. He says, stewardship is about exercising a God-given dominion over creation, Reflecting the image of God in his care, responsibility, maintenance, protection, and beautification of his creation. And I love that, that word beautification because that is what God gave to Adam. He said to him, I want you to tend and keep the garden. <laughs> he wanted him to beautify, in a sense, to create culture under God as a steward accountable to God. And then coming to the book of Philippians, we find what surprises me uh, about this book is that actually Paul was in very serious trouble. He was imprisoned and he was in great suffering. And I don't have to tell you that prisons in those days was a dreadful place for you to be in. You were not fed by the state. You had to raise your own food and people could starve in prison. And Paul was in this very difficult uh, environment, but he did not allow himself to be beaten by the environment. He was not under the circumstances 
as we like to say. In this very situation of imprisonment, he writes this letter and the concerns of his heart, number one, you'll find that he's concerned for the unity of the, uh, of the church for the sake of missional advance. You find that there is, um, he's wanting to model something of biblical stewardship. Um, he really, really surprises me. He, he pulls a few uh, threads that are really apostolic. He talks about uh, giving, uh, because these guys had, had given not only financially, it was the only church actually that supported him while in prison. But they went beyond just that. They sent a, a guy called Epaphroditus, and they said, go and minister to Paul, take care of his needs. And, uh, and Paul is, is, is blessed by this thing, and he's talking about partnership in chapter 1, verse 5. He's thanking them for the partnership in the gospel. He's talking about unity. He is completely indomitable because he understands that he is a steward and he is subject only to God. He's in prison but he's so completely and radically Godward in his heart and emotions that he, it seems to me, reading this book, that prison had absolutely no effect on him. He's busy. He actually says, these chains are serving to advance the gospel. <laughs> May God help us to be, to be that Godward in our hearts, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so let's pick up on uh, the chapter 2. The verses that we have read, we're going to see that he then picks up on this quality of humility. He says, really, humility is a key um, um, quality of a steward. Humility, if I were to define it, I would say that it's a state of freedom from pride and Arrogance. He says you need to be free from pride and arrogance, from conceit, he says. And then in verse 3, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition. The, the thing that strikes me about this is that actually this is, this is something that since the fall of man, it is impossible for you and I to free ourselves from selfish ambition and pride. It, is, it seems to me that this is so much a human condition that we cannot free ourselves from this thing. This is what led to the fall of Adam and Eve as the, 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 the enemy was enticing them and also the very fall of Satan himself. And I think if you read Isaiah 14, it really speaks, I think, as a double reference to the enemy. He says, I will ascend above the uh, clouds of God. I will make myself very powerful. There was selfish ambition that led to the fall of Satan. But Paul comes to us and he says, you are not to be like that. How are we to free ourselves from pride and arrogance? The answer we find in verse 1. He says some of the most beautiful things there. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ. In fact, if you look at the, uh, the first three verses or so, 
it's, there is a Trinitarian structure about it. it. It reminds me of the benediction that says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It says if there is any encouragement in Christ, and he mentions the Holy Spirit and he mentions the Father, it is in Christ that we are freed from selfish ambition and pride. It is only in Christ that humility is able to be birthed within us, not something that is within our grasp and our power to do all by ourselves. It is something that we can, can only happen to us in Christ. Pride is broken in Christ. And when it is broken in Christ, we are able to live a life of humility in consciousness of the grace and the mercy of God. This is the quotation from, from um, John MacArthur, who speaks about the saved and the damned. It's actually a very harsh statement, but I felt it, it touches on the difference, really, between Christians and non-Christians. He says the following, the damned think they are good. The saved know they are wicked. The damned believe the kingdom of God is for those worthy of it, the saved know the kingdom is for those who realize how unworthy they are. The damned believe eternal life is end. The saved know it is a gift. The damned seek God's commendation. The saved seek his forgiveness. Here to say to you, this quality of humility can only be birthed in us in Christ Jesus. He breaks into our lives and he regenerates us. He opens our eyes so that we are able to see ourselves as we truly are, wretched and broken. And we see God as he truly is, glorious. And because of that, we are able to be humble and to not assert our own self-interests against the interests of other people. But I want to also say in the text that it is clear that humility, though it is birthed by God because we are found to be in Christ by grace alone, it is, in terms of its growth, it is not automatic. Verse 5, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You have to let that mindset of humility be in you. It's, it's a very interesting construction, isn't it? You are, not, you are not making yourself humble, and yet at the same time, you are not passive. He says, let yourself to be acted upon by the mind of Christ, which is yours because you are found to be in Christ Jesus. You need to allow yourself to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. There is a passivity and there is also an, act, an activity. You are allowing Christ to be formed in you and you are allowing a mindset to be birthed in you by God that makes you to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Humility is a key quality of a steward, I've been saying. It means renouncing self for the sake of other people. Renouncing yourself for the sake of other people. And you will see in this letter that 
um, humility and unity and all of these things for Paul, they are not really an end on their, on their own. They are a means to an end. He's saying these things because he wants to see gospel advance. And he says, you need, if you are not going to steward your life properly, and if you are going to be filled with pride and arrogance and, and selfish ambition and those kinds of things, you are not going to be able to work together. And if you don't work together, there will be no gospel advance. And so he's speaking to us and says, I want you to steward your life. Don't destroy your life. Use your life effectively for the advance of the kingdom of God. True humility is a proper attitude towards self that results in proper action towards other people. The enemy comes to you and I and he says, I want you to assert your rights and I want you to assert them in independence from other people. But humility says, no, you need to, uh, it says here, count others as better, as better than yourselves. I, I believe it is, uh, it is more treat others as if they were better than yourselves. When we do that and we embrace that attitude, I believe this vision A, B, C, D and taking the whole continent from Cape to Cairo is, um, is achievable. But when we allow arrogance to come on the way uh, with the great resources we may have, and the great gifts we may have, we will not be able to advance the kingdom of God. It yields any rights for the sake of saving other people. It is, it is an attitude that is the opposite of you owe me. You know people who walk around like that? You can almost see it in a person. That this person has got an attitude that says everybody around them owes them. But that is the attitude that uh, will not advance the kingdom of God. Um, John Piper says, Jesus loved died for, forgave, accepted, justified, gave eternal life to, and made us heirs of the world when he owed us nothing. He did not have a you owe me attitude. He owed us nothing, and yet he did all of these things for us. And um, Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Humility serves others in obedience to God, even at great personal cost. Pride wants to serve itself even at the, at the price of other people. You're wanting to take from other people to serve yourself. Humility is the opposite. You are saying, I'm yielding my rights in order for somebody else to be blessed. An example I can think of is think of a person who is really, really rich. Uh, whoever you think is the richest person in South Africa. And imagine that this person was wanted to run for president. And in his mind, this person thinks the salary that the president gets it's parking fees to me. I don't want it. I've got enough money of my own. And then he becomes sworn in as a president. But he thinks, if I make decisions as a president, people are going to think 
I'm making these decisions to advance my own personal interests. And so he says, I'm going to renounce all of my business interests. I'm renouncing them in order for me to be able to serve the country well. That is the heart that we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to look at it in a moment. And perhaps we should do it now. Did you see what it says about him? That though he was in the form of God, the scripture says, though he, that word form, morphe in Greek, it means though he was essentially God, he did not see equality with God as something to be independently grasped. But rather he humbled himself, took upon himself a form of a servant, became a human being, and humbled himself as a man, even to the point of obeying the commandment to die, the worst forms of death imaginable, death on the cross. This is the example of humility that we have in Christ. He says, I'm divesting myself of all self-interest. And I am becoming man in order to serve God's interest and not advance my own interest. So this is a tall order that we are being given here to say, let this mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Point number two is that we've already made it that humility is the key for unity. Unity is rooted in humility. We are able to, be, to, to, to work together in unity only if everybody's ego is, um, is subjected to themselves, by themselves. Uh, the atonement is the ground for Christian unity because God did so much for us while we were yet enemies of his. And he didn't say, you owe me. And we realized just how rich he has made us by grace alone. To be appropriated by faith alone, we have the ground and the motive to be um, united and to be humble. John chapter 13, verse 3 to verse 5 gives us another beautiful example of humility from our Lord. The scripture says, having... Um, loved his disciples. After dinner one day, he took a, a tower rope, uh, wrapped it around his waist, and he knelt down and served the Christians, washing their feet. But the scripture in that verse says, knowing, it's almost as if it's saying, Christ was serving out of a very secure position, knowing that he comes from the Father and that he's going to the Father. He decided to put that robe around his waist, which was something that servants and slaves and the worst of slaves would do. And he decided to kneel down and wash the feet that are smelly and dusty of his disciples, secure in who he was. May God do that for us. May God cause us to have our identity rooted in who we are in Christ Jesus in such a way that we are willing to do the very 
menial of things and it doesn't threaten our sense of who we are because that is rooted graciously in everything that God has done for us. Just want to conclude with this thought that we see from, um, I think it's from verse 7 onwards, that verse 1 to verse Verse 2 to verse 8 is talking about humility, and verse 9 to 11 is talking about glorification. He says, Jesus Christ modeled humility for us. And then he says, and because of that, because he did all of that, God has highly exalted him. We're looking at Jesus in his humanity. As, as divine, he was already glorified. But in his humanity and in view of everything that he did, the father was pleased with him, with his stewardship, how he stewarded his life, how he didn't insist in his own rights, how he served other people at his expense, how he advanced the glory of almighty God and the father highly exalted him. I want to say to you and to myself, if we will do this, if we'll embrace this heart, God will highly exalt us. Um, I will not promise you that it will happen necessarily on this earth, that you will be highly exalted. But even in this earth, in some way, in the sight of God, you will be highly exalted. And definitely at the glorification, when Christ comes, you will be highly, highly honored, highly glorified in the same way that we see Christ glorified on the basis of what he did for us. Um, and I just want to close with Micah 6 verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love, kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's bow our heads in prayer. We thank you, Lord God, for your many graces and gifts that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord God, that even though we are bound, even though we are depraved totally in our sin, we thank you that in Christ Jesus you free us from the shackles of pride and arrogance and you free us so that we may serve one another, so that we have enough a motivation for unity for us to advance your gospel. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for the example that you set for us. But we thank you that you didn't just set an example externally for us, but by your spirit working in us, you are encouraging us and enabling us to do this very thing. Have the mind of Christ Jesus so that we may advance the gospel and give glory unto your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you.